You're listening to the True Life Church Podcast. To learn more about True Life Church, including our service times in Melbourne, Florida, join us online at truelifemelbourne.com or find us on Facebook. Today's message comes from Lead Pastor Joshua Smith. We are in a series called Wait Here Until called. And that video kind of hopefully sets the stage of where we're going to be talking about this morning, the mission field. And at first it's like, oh, oh, they've got to be out in a jungle. If you watch that video, hopefully you did. And not just not totally pay attention to it, but it starts off and it looks like, oh, they're in the jungle. They've got to be somewhere, you know, exotic, like Honduras, Guatemala. And you just find out they're in the park. And that we're, we're all called, we're all called into the same mission field. Too many times in ministry, and I'm speaking from experience here, people, I mean the church, the congregation, get it in our our brains somewhere along the way. I'll talk about a couple reasons why. That ministry, that's the pastor's job, or that's the children's minister's job, or that's the worship leader's job. Right, those are the people who are paid or employed by the church. I was employed um, for a few years at a very large church in Atlanta. If you're not new, you've heard that. I'm not sure I've ever told this story. And it was near the end of when my wife and I were feeling called back here to Melbourne. Now, I knew what I was supposed to do, but the location and how or that my calling gets used, I guess, can, can change over time. So I knew God called me into to ministry. I knew God had called me to use my talent on, on piano and, and worship. I felt God calling us out of where we were using that at. And I had to get it in, under my skin for a little bit because I felt so attached to the churches that I had served to that point. And God had to break me that, hey, I can serve God whatever church I'm at. Now, I love serving with you. I love co-laboring with you. I don't want that to change, right? It's not my hope that it changes. But there's been a couple of times where I was employed, I was praying for that to change. <laughs> you know, in my past, I'm like, I, I want to serve God, but this is really frustrating where I'm at right now. And the church I was at was a very large church in Atlanta, multiple-tiered parking garage, huge campus, like two worships, technically three giant worship centers, um, just massive facility. Had an atrium with real trees growing in. I mean, like, it was, woo, like marble hallways and a bust of the, a bronze bust of the existing pastor serving there at the time. That was, that was always a little weird to me. I'm like, hey, Dr. Gill. Hey, Dr. Gill. Um... <laughs> One real, one fake, and I, I you know, and I, it would always just be weird to me that that if like if there was a bust of my head in the hallway, that thing would hit the garbage, or like I would graffiti it myself. Like it would just be so, it'd be so bizarre. And where, and you need to know a little bit of context. And where where this church was uh, is in Buckhead, Atlanta, area code three hundred three hundred five. And if you don't know three hundred three hundred five, it's the third most wealthy zip code in all of the United States. Like, you might think, oh, it's got to be New York. Oh, it's got to be Los Angeles. 30305. All right? So very, very fancy. My, myself and a couple other um, staff members at the time used to stand up on the third floor and watch the car pickup line as all the Teslas and Range Rovers, Maseratis, and everything just pulled through. We're just like, wow. Ooh, look at that car. Anyway. And in this church, they had, among other things, four or five people employed full-time for just sports and recreation ministry. Their job was to play soccer with the kids. Um, they had full-time kitchen staff. And the people would come in. We had a, like a cafe, cafeteria serving area. And on Wednesday, we, we had Wednesday night dinners. And on Wednesday night dinners, you know, those people were, were, were paid to put together, you know, the meals for that day. So the people would come in and, and would pay a, a lowly price of $7 per person to get, you know, everything from fried catfish to name, name the fancy foods. And without pulling the race card, 99% of that congregation was all white. There was 
an African-American family that attended our church. And um, fortunately, Robbie sang in our praise team, so I, I enjoyed that. Great singer. Anyway, one evening, a Wednesday night, a family came looking for help. African-American family. It's mom, dad, and two kids. And I walked by them in the hallway, and I greeted them. And my experience at the church I had come from prior to being in Atlanta with homeless ministries, I, I, I try not to look at anybody a specific way, right? And just try to help everybody I can. I might judge them based on their appearance. And I greeted them, and I said, hey, hello, can I help you with anything? I said, yeah, we're here to see so-and-so. And we're going to try to get some help. I'm like, okay, just make sure that you know where you're going and someone has, has helped you. And from the story it was pieced together, as I found out some of these details later, the family came there needing two things, food and shelter, right? Primary things. Both the mom and dad um, had night jobs, and they were in between housing. And they had two kids, so... With them both working at night, they couldn't leave their children unattended, all right? And they needed help in that area and a hotel. And they needed food. They didn't have dinner. And that family left being sent or offloaded to another ministry and being equipped with Chick-fil-A gift cards. When down the flipping hallway, there was a cafeteria serving food. Like, who cares about seven bucks a person? Who cares whether or not they're, they signed up online for the Wednesday night dinner? Go get them some food. And that made me so mad. Six point seven something million dollar budget. Endless facilities. Fifty something people on staff. And they left with a gift card. It was then I knew it was, it's time to go. This is not, this is not the place for us. God was calling us out of that church. We got so the people had gotten so used to just simply just writing checks, paying the bills, and saying, "Okay, well, those people who are on staff, they do the ministry," and that's a trap that we can fall into. No matter what size of church you are, though, it is arguably easier the larger. The church is. People can fall into this trap and say, hey, well now we need so-and-so and this staff member and this staff member and this staff member. And we need those people and they go out and do the ministry. I'll finance it, but they go do it. They get their hands dirty. One of the best things God has ever done for this church is alleviate our staff problem over the last year. And I'm staring at some faces who were employed with us. I love that. But just because you're not getting a small, tiny, itty-bitty paycheck doesn't mean that I'm still not staring at you, that we're not still serving together. What that's done is that's put our church's calling into the people's hands. Because if we are going to do what God has called us to do, it's not up to solely me. It's not up to the staff. There's no staff. Who's it in charge of? Yeah. Y'all. Because there's just one of me. But another 70 or 80 of y'all. Now imagine the impact that 70 or 80 people can have in their own specific areas. It's one of the reasons why if you ever stop by on, a, on an afternoon, you may not find me here. In fact, most likely you won't. Why? Well, so you know, that office gets very quiet and lonely by myself. And like, I'm a people person. And I can, unless someone happens to stop by, and sometimes they do, I can minister to no one while I'm here. I'd rather go work at a Starbucks and I do. 
or a different coffee shop or something and sit out there where people can see this. You have no idea how one of these sitting there on your table is just a conversation starter. And I'll be thumbing through it. So we're in this series called Wait Here Until Called. And if you've been with us, we've talked about the story of Samuel. How God called his name a few times. He was called and said, I'm here, I'm here. And the first thing we need to do is just say, God, I'm here. I'm listening. I'm ready. Because a lot of times we want the calling without the readiness. I want to be called into something. I want to go do something great for God. But even if he called you to at that very second, would you be willing to drop everything you were doing? Oh, no, actually, I'm too busy. Actually, I already had this planned. Well, we weren't going to do it anyway. Last week, we talked about how Samuel then anointed David to be king and how David waited for a long time for that to come to pass. Like 15 years. Long, long time. And David could have been reflecting on his fatherly given identity, which if you recall was this word called katan, Q-A-T-A-N, which meant what? Worthless one, small, insignificant, young, unimportant. And he could have just said, well, oh, woe is me, that's me. But he didn't. He referenced the other word we talked about last week called kavah, Q-A-V-A-H, and it's obviously spelled differently in the Hebrew. They don't have our letters, but it means wait. And we walked away with hopefully the lesson of don't try to force God's will into your timing. A lot of times I have tried to push things through in my life and, and kind of regretted it. Anyone else with me on that? Like I've tried to make things happen on my own instead of learning to wait on the Lord. This renovation here in this building over three years ago is, is yet another example of that. I wanted it done. I wanted it done. The city of Melbourne had other plans, <laughs> including like tearing apart everything that we had built and then repainting it with, you know, E1, what was it? Intimescent fire retardant paint. Like the inside of the stage is going to suddenly combust and just <laughs> burst into flame. But no, it has to be coated. So it's just, we had to tear it. Oh, man. We, we thought, I thought, in my naivety, that, you know, oh, we'll be in there around July. November. November we open up. And I learned again. God is teaching me again through that process. And well, he's probably not done teaching me that because I tend to be an impatient person. To wait. To wait. Don't try to force God's will into your timing. And to start off where we were at in these past couple of weeks on Samuel and David, and we're going to leave David behind today and kind of go on a scripture symposium um, throughout a, a whole bunch of different things because I want to paint a, a good picture for you today. And I don't want you walking out here with just one scripture or one idea. I want to overload your brain with the overwhelming amount of what we're called to do. In preparation for where we're going, as if it matters, the sermon titles and the, the focuses um, last week was wait here into called. Today's just called. Tomorrow or next week is called in, called out, and then called up. So we're going to be talking about a, a couple fun things throughout the rest of this series. Talking about the identity of the church. What we are called to as a church body. What we're called out to into the world and eventually called up. And though David was anointed to be king, he was called to serve the Lord. And so wherever David went, hiding in the tunnels, running from Saul, being brokenhearted, spent some time with Philistines, that's fun. He ended up joining, joining up with the enemy of Israel for a short time just to find refuge. And they were like, well, if you're running from Saul, that's fine because we don't like Saul either. So hang out with us for a little bit. Wherever David went, he served the Lord. Even though 
what he was supposed to do hadn't fully come to pass yet. See, this is always part of David's story. It was meant to happen. God knew it was going to happen. And all these little tiny stepping stones paved the way for David to be the king that Israel needed. Because what good would, would a king be of Israel, the people of God, if he hadn't have learned to worship out in the fields and the pastures with the sheep? What good would that king have been if he didn't learn to protect those sheep from the lion and the bear, which he did? What good would a king have been if it, he wasn't willing to step in front of 40,000 of his own guys, soldiers, who were too scared to do anything and go fight Goliath? What good would a king have been if he hadn't have learned to wait on the Lord, hiding in caves, fearful of his life? See, it's, it's those stepping stones of the, of the process that made David the king that he was supposed to be. And I guarantee you, there's some times, if you look back on your life, you know, hindsight's always 20. I'm sure you've heard that. It's always 20-20. It always makes sense looking backwards. You say, oh, that makes sense now. Why I had to go through that. And if I hadn't been prepared for that, then I wouldn't be where I'm at now. And I was asking myself the question after moving back here from Melbourne, well, why did I spend two years at that large church? I just left frustrated. What, why was I there? I didn't learn why I was there for those two years until what happened here happened here. I'm like, oh, that makes sense. Because I spent a lot of time, my, my best friend up there still, still is in Atlanta. Nick, as the executive director, was the financial guy at the time. And he, just spending time with him and talking church budget and finances, learned how they manage church budget and finances. For accountability and having to sign, like we didn't have our own credit card or church card, we had to go sign one out. And then come back with a receipt and sign it back in. Just learning transparency and some procedures that when things happened here, I'm like, oh, okay. That's one of the reasons why I was there. So I don't regret my time there at all. But I did walk away learning a lot. You all have phones? No. I envy you. What's up, Jesse? Um, going to run in some errands uh, before we have some people over for football. Cool. I'm preaching a sermon. <laughs> well, hi. Jesse says hi, church. Uh, anything you want to say to the True Life Church? Um, with the conversations that I've had with Josh and everything that's been happening within the last couple of years i'm really proud of the way that the church has stayed together and really um backed him up on his vision for what he has for you uh what you guys don't know is that josh and i do talk quite often about the status of the church and um i'm really proud of him for leading you the way that he has and really proud for you guys to um, to put your faith in him and lean on his strength that he has in God to lead you guys the way that he sees fit. Thanks, bro. That's nice. I didn't bring the Kleenexes. Yeah. Hey, did you know... That's just off the top of my head. Hey, did you know I was going to call you? Not at all. <laughs> Thank you. I'll catch up with you soon, bro. Bye. All right. Love you all. <laughs> Bye. Ah, oh, that's my bro, Jesse. Yeah, he does. Jesse, for me, is one of those guys that, like, no matter what time I'm calling, I, like, I know he's going to pick up the phone. I hope you have somebody like that in your life. He knows what I'm doing on a Sunday morning. He's, like, he's probably like, why is he calling me now? My point is that God is the one doing the calling. And I know that there are so many Christ followers 
aren't willing to pick up the phone when he does. How disappointing of an analogy would that have been if I called and I got Jesse's voicemail? (laughs) See, God has called you into something. But you got to pick up the other end of the line. What is that other end of the line? All right, well, let's talk about it. Turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 8. You know it's dangerous when I got two Bibles up here today. Lots of... Lots of little markers and two Bibles. One's not enough. Second Timothy chapter 8. This is my green marker. Second Timothy, sorry, chapter 1, verses 8 through 10. Second Timothy chapter 1, verse 8 through 10. This is Paul writing, second letter to Timothy that we have at least. And Paul says, Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord. In other words, don't be ashamed of the gospel. Don't be ashamed of Jesus. I talked about this a week or two ago. Some people are like, ah, I've never been more ashamed to be called a Christian. How dare someone say that? Do not be ashamed. There it is in the Bible. Do not be ashamed of Jesus. Do not be ashamed to be called a Christian. Do not be ashamed of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner. In other words, like, hey, don't feel bad. Oh, do you know Paul? Oh, uh, no, no, I don't know Paul. Paul, that guy in prison? Nope, never known him. Like, don't be ashamed of also Paul who's serving God, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, verse 9, who saved us. That's the most important thing first. Who, Who has saved us? That's a question, yes. Who has saved us? Jesus. What has Jesus saved us from? Sin? Death, separation from God. Okay, you need to know that. That's important. Because if, you, if you're saved and you don't know what you're saved from, there's a problem. Yay, I'm saved. From what? Uh, I don't know. I thought it was fine before, actually. No, we are saved. We are forgiven. And we have an eternity with Christ. We are saved from an eternity in hell. So, first of all, power of God who saved us, and now verse 9 again, who called us to a holy calling. Not because of our works, not because of what I've done, not because of what you've done, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. So before time, we were going to have a way to be saved the person of Jesus Christ, and which now has been manifest, has been made real through the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. He's suffering for the gospel. This is not a popular message then, and it's not a popular message now. Because if we were to approach anyone and say, hey, do you need to be saved? They might have the deer in the headlights response thing too, like from what? I like my life. My life is fine. Only to end up on the wrong side of eternity. We have a holy calling. For those of us who have been saved, we have a holy calling calling. It's not just saved to be saved, but saved to do something. Saved for a purpose. And you hear all these near-death experiences, stories, where someone life flashes before their eyes and somehow miraculously they're saved and they wake up the next day or whenever they wake up and the sky is bluer and the grass is greener and the food tastes better. And like, I must still be here for something. You're saved for a purpose. You have something you're supposed to do. You have a holy calling in Christ Jesus. Now keep that thought. We're going to turn to a fun, fun parable. Turn to Matthew chapter 22. Matthew chapter 22. We're going to read verses 1 through 14. Again, Jesus spoke to them in parables. He's telling them stories. He's trying to give an illustration so they can understand some deeper meaning. He spoke to them in parables saying, here we go. The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son 
and sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast, but they would not come. In other words, they got the voicemail. No one picked up. They knew what was supposed to happen. They knew the relationship was there. They were supposed to come to this wedding feast. They had been invited. And when they were called, they didn't come. So again, he sent servants, other servants, saying, tell those who are invited, tell them again, the same people who are invited. See, I've prepared my dinner, my ox and my fat calves have been slaughtered, and everything is ready. There is yummy, yummy food on the table. We're going to have a party. You should totally be here. Go get them. Come to the wedding feast. But they paid no attention and went off, one to his farm, another to his business, while the rest seized his servants, treated them shamefully, and killed them. That's not really, that didn't end up well for the messenger, huh? It ended up well for the servants. The king was angry. This is the sent two invitations out, one not received, one they even killed as messengers. The king was angry and he sent his troops and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Then he said to his servants, the wedding feast is ready. We got all this food on the table. It's ready to go. But those who were invited were not worthy. Go therefore to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. And those servants went out to the roads and gathered all whom they found, both bad and good. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. Yay, we're finally about to have a party. When the king came in to look at the guests, he saw there a man who had no wedding garment. He wasn't wearing the right clothes. And he said to him, Friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the attendants, Bind him hand and foot and cast him in the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. Many are called, but few are chosen. This is a hard teaching, right? To echo what disciples said later. This is, Master, this is a hard teaching. Yes, it is. Because we, we feel like we have compassion for the guy who got in there without the right clothes. You're like, but he was just invited, right? Just to come in to this wedding feast. It's not fair that he shows up there, he just got a free invitation, he was invited to come, and then he gets kicked out. What's the deal, Jesus? So he was very specific when these servants would have gone out in this parable, hey, I want to invite you to the wedding feast. I want to invite you to the wedding feast. Don't just come to nothing. Come to the wedding feast. And something, especially in those days, as a few certain examples like the Met Gala today, have very high dress expectations. It's a, it's a joke. Tax the rich. Anyway, have you seen that? Now we, we can put on $30,000 attire. There are some experiences where you just dress up for, right? A wedding is one of those, right? right. What about uh, maybe someone's promotion, right? A gala. You dress up for a gala. Prom. At least people used to dress up for prom. Now they, ugh. Um, I'm glad I have sons. There are certain experiences you just dress up for. There was a day and age, if you can believe it, where people dressed up for church. Right? At least two suits. And, and the outer garment reflected the intentionality or the preparation of the individual wearing it. You ever, been, you ever showed up for something and maybe it was like, maybe a costume party and you didn't get the memo so you just showed up as you and you went, maybe, maybe there was something where the dress code was just a lot higher and you showed up and you're like wow I feel I feel underdressed my wife and I we had our in, um, what dinner was that the Indian River Colony Club thing uh, we're in the hearse what was that the food tasting for, before we got married the two, we had a tasting dinner Right, and we went, and I'm walking in. Now I'm wearing like khakis and a button-down shirt, and you know, 25, 
and they told me, you know, coats are required. This is just in Vieira. Coats are required in this establishment. I'm like, well, I don't have one. They're like, we have some you can borrow. And it was, yeah, apparently this is a thing, you know, that people regularly showed up to that place coatless, you know, because it's a bajillion degrees, and, and they had some on standby. And so this, I had to put on this coat, and it did not fit right. So the whole time I'm like, just trying to eat, it was uncomfortable. But I walked into a situation, and the dress code and me, we weren't prepared. Likewise, with what I'm wearing today, ironically, I'm in no business to go do yard work, right? This would be, this would be very poor choice of attire for yard work or for fishing, right? I couldn't exactly wade out in the Indian or Banana River in this and, and catch fish. It's not the right clothing. See, my, the clothing suits the purpose, I would look like a psychopath. I'd be a wet, I'd be a wet suited fisherman. That's what I would be. How did you get in here without the right attire? The king says to the man. How did you get in here? In other words, the man knew he was being invited to a wedding feast. What he didn't care or concern him with was putting on the right clothes. He's like, I'll just blend in. No one's going to notice me. I'll fit in. Everybody else there in, in the wedding clothes, and I'll just hang out. Which is why he had no answer when the king said, Hey, you! And again, this is just a story. But hey, you, why aren't you wearing the right clothes? Because uh, he got found out. So what's... If we have a calling, and, and we, we do, after we've been saved, we have a calling. We've been called to something. These guests were invited. They were called to the wedding feast. But... This particular guy we're focusing on didn't show up in the right clothes. Now, this is a metaphor for something a lot bigger. Because we're not going to necessarily focus on, well, you know, it wasn't a three-piece suit and it wasn't black tie. Maybe it was black tie optional. You know, this is a metaphor for something a lot bigger. Turn with me to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 17. And we're going to read 1 through 17, with 17 being our landing point there. If then, I love that, just starting right at that. If, which means maybe you have, maybe you haven't. And then, if you have what you should do. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. And that day is coming. So put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion. And that's not just being you know, zealous for life. That's, that's not good, not healthy passion that takes you away and distracts you from goodliness and godliness, being passionate for something else. Evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. And these two you once walked when you were living in them, all these sinful things. But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Which is why you ever heard someone, you know, cuss like a sailor? But, oh, I'm a Christian. I still, I still believe in God. That's a, that's a reflection. You should put that away. We are called to better in how we speak and how we act. So malice, slinger, obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. And we're going to stop right here for a moment. See, up until this point... Paul is telling us all the things that we should take off. I'm not going to do that. But you get the idea. These are all the things that you should take off. Anger, wrath, malice, sexual impurity, immorality, covetousness, lies, deceit, and the list goes on. 
These are things which you should get out of your life immediately. Because you've been called to something. And this is convicting for us. Because it's like, at some, at some level, at, with the steps that we are trying to take in faith with Christ, the dress code is just getting upped a little bit more. We are called to put off these things. And I don't want to see a show of hands, but I know you know people who profess, who say that they follow Christ, and yet this is what describes them. Maybe not the whole list, but definitely a good two or three. You're like, oh yeah. Oh yeah. And maybe the Holy Spirit is using this to speak to you right now. Say, something has to break. Like the song that y'all sang earlier. That's got to stop. Like today. And you've got to start taking steps to remove that out of your life today. So these are the things to take off. Now in verse 10, And have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here, in this new identity in Christ, there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, right? In other words, it doesn't matter what color your skin is, how tall you are, what language you speak, where you came from, there is just Christ. Christ is all and in all. So put on then, as God's chosen ones, and these are the clothes that we would want to put on. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. Put on compassionate hearts. Put on kindness. Put on humility. Put on meekness. Put on patience. Bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. Forgiveness. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. See Matthew 6, 13 and 14 for further reading on that. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were, what's this word? Called in one body. I'll read that again. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, Singing psalms, good to sing psalms and hymns we did in spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And here's verse 17. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. And I can't tell you the number of of times I've had conversations, even in my short life, with other people who are like, I think I might be called into ministry. Okay, have you been saved? Yes, well then you've already been called into ministry. No, I mean I, mean, I might be called into, into full-time ministry. Are you saved? Yes, then, then you're called into full-time ministry. No, no, I meant, I meant I might be called to be a pastor. Okay, that's a totally different conversation. If you want that job, okay, let's talk about that. If you want that responsibility, let's talk about that. But you have a calling. And the calling rests on every single one of us. I'm a co-laborer with you in Christ. And one of the reasons why that church just bit me out of shape so much in Atlanta is because they're like, they didn't want to get their hands dirty doing ministry. It was the staff's job. Whose job is it? Whose responsibility is it here at True Life Church? It's all of ours. Mine more than yours? No. Mine equal as yours? Yes. We share the same ministry 
And today is just, again, it's just called called. Because we need to get ground zero in that we all have a calling. You don't need to pursue or chase something else throughout your life and like, I feel like I'm being called. You're called exactly where you're at, right here, right now. And from the moment you accepted Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. We're going to talk about that in a second. You have a calling in your life. And that calling is only going to be seen and only going to be shown if you're wearing the right clothes. You've been called into a purpose. This is how we were meant to stand out from the world. Not to be not among the world, but to look different than the world. Because it's the world who needs saving. And if we don't go into it, who will? That's our calling. There is there's no greater calling than to serve God exactly where you're at today. It's not being in full-time ministry. It's not getting a paycheck from a church somewhere. It's not having a privilege, what you might think, of of being up on a platform. It's not, actually. You are called to serve God in your cubicle, in your classroom. You are called to share God with your co-workers with the children in your class. You are called to, 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 share, and, to share God and the, and the gospel with those in the nursing home next to you. With the, the people in the, in the condo across the street. Your neighbor that you only just wave at, you don't even know their name, change that. Your greatest calling is to serve God exactly where you're at right now. I mean right now, like not this physical second, right? Okay, but you, maybe this physical second, maybe someone in here needs Jesus. I mean, you're assuming that everyone in this room is a Christ follower when they're not. We can't make that assumption. No matter what size of church we are. Your greatest calling is to serve God right where you're at i got to brag on a friend of mine right now. Because he's been through a lot of these couple years. And his life is far from perfect, he'd be telling you that. But my heart is glad when I see the change that I have seen God do in Ben Bowman. And he, this man has had more gospel conversations since he stopped working in ministry I don't know, like, we talk about it, what, about once a week, we check in. Like, God is using Ben doing corporate pest control. He kills things for a living. And he's good at it. And God is using him exactly where he is. You don't have to be up here for God to use you in a mighty way. Your greatest calling is to serve God exactly where you are right now. But to do it, Ben's got to put on the pest control uniform. You've got to put on the right clothes to do the job. Turn with me to a... We're actually going to go to Ephesians now. Ephesians chapter 4. Let me back that way just a little bit. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. I'm going to move here for a second. Therefore, I urge, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling. Walk worthy of the calling to which you have been called. With all humility and gentleness. Here's the, what we should look like. With humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. And I just love that verse for the picture it gives us of the Trinity. One God and Father of all, who is over all and through all 
and in all. Ah, love it. Now to Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. Finally, he cl- closes out this letter, which if you've read a lot of the epistles, the letters of Paul, um, if you've read a lot of those, he like has like two to three fake endings. It's like Lord of the Rings, super extended edition. Like There's finally, and then there's like another chapter. Right. <laughs> so that's how you know he was a good preacher. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor. Here we have to put on again. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, not just some of it, but all of it, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Or your version may just say, simply just to stand. When you've done everything, you could just say, you know, it's been a rough day, but I'm still standing. Stand therefore, having fastened on, here we go, belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. You've got to be ready to take the gospel of Jesus Christ to whomever, wherever, whenever. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert, keep ready with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me. Don't leave me out, I need prayer too. That words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. You may not have the job you want. You might not have the career you want. You might not have the house you want. You might not be living where you want or how you want. You might feel like you're in chains. Guess what? Paul was literally. And you can still serve God in those circumstances. In fact, you are called to. You ever thought maybe you're there for a reason? Maybe you're enduring that for a reason. Because maybe you're exactly where you need to be to reach those other people. Otherwise, there wouldn't be anyone else like you that God can use to reach those people. What we put on and how we are dressed for the battle matters. In that parable in Matthew, the guy wasn't dressed right for the wedding. He got kicked out. He'd been called, sure, but he wasn't ready. He wasn't wearing the right clothes. He'd been called to something. But he wasn't ready. You and I have been called to something. Before you talk about ministry, before you you talk about full-time employment at a church, before you talk about having a staff title at a church, before you talk about being a missionary, before you talk uh, about going out for some major revival or something like that, wearing coordinated t-shirts to pick up a town, whatever it is, you've been called to something right now, today. To share the gospel with whomever, whenever, wherever. And I would even argue with what Paul just said boldly, however. Finally, turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 17. 1 Corinthians chapter, sorry. Chapter 7, verse 17. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 17. It says, Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him. You've been assigned right where you're at. You are on mission right where you're at. The job you're in, if you're retired or not, doesn't matter. That's your assignment. You ever think about it that way? That's where you're supposed to be. And if it changes, God will change it. If it needs to change, you're right where you're supposed to be. This is my rule in all the churches. What's his rule? Let me read that again so we get in context. Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. 
This is my rule in all the churches. Was anyone at the time of his call already circumcised? Let him not seek to remove the marks of circumcision. Was anyone at the time of his call uncircumcised? Let him not seek circumcision. There was a big debate at the church at that time, especially between Peter and his ministry to the Jewish people, and Paul and his ministry to the Gentiles, in other words, the heathens, everybody else who wasn't of Jewish descendant. And Paul's big thing was like, hey, y'all are so busy wrapped up around this, you know, do you have you need your wee-wah-whoop-dunt or, or not, like, we don't, stop wasting time with that. Right? Stop doing 38-year-old bat misfas. like, just end it. It's weird. Move on with your ministry. So if you came in, to the ministry, if you came into knowing Jesus Christ saved with tattoos, don't get your tattoos removed because you met Jesus when you had tattoos. If you met Jesus, don't go all tattoo crazy because you met Jesus when you didn't have none. Now under this suit, I have four tattoos. You may or may not know that. I don't care. Oh, but they're there. Where are they? Where are they? No, that I don't, that'd be very painful. No. I, you can put it on the record. Josh does not have armpit tattoos. I'm going on the record. Made some stupid choices when I was younger. For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but keeping the commandments of God. Each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. Were you a bondservant when called? Don't be concerned about it. But if you gain your freedom, avail yourself of the opportunity. For he who is called in the Lord as a bondservant is a freed man of the Lord. And they were servants, and again, this flies in the face of, quote-unquote, prosperity gospel. Because prosperity gospel and New Age Reformation religion and word of faith movement and all that other kind of stuff, that, and that's pervasive in American Christianity, by the way. If you haven't, please watch the movies American Gospel and the part two. Fantastic. Regardless, those people are being taught another gospel. One that says you can change your surroundings. You are called to more. You have a destiny. And I could just read some tweets of pastors that sounds like they got them out of fortune cookies. Maybe they're writing them for fortune cookies, for all I know. Like, who's making this stuff up? And where's Jesus in it? It's not. But the destiny you have and to, to, for greater wealth and greater influence and greater power. Says, in verse 21, were you a slave when you found Jesus? Okay. Continue being a slave. But even as a slave, you were a freed man in the Lord. That's where you find your identity. For he who is called in the Lord as a bondservant is a freed man of the Lord. Likewise, he who is free when called is a bondservant of Christ. We all serve the same Lord now, Jesus Christ. You were bought with a price. Do not become bondservants of men. We were saved, right? Are you saved? Yes or no? Yes. Okay, I'm saved. And what were we saved from? Sin. Okay. Sure. Was that free? For us? Yes. But it came with a price. Jesus was the sacrifice so that we could have all of that. So we could have the unity that we have together. In Christ. So you were bought with a price, so don't become bondservants of men. Don't bend or break on your calling. So, brothers, in whatever condition each was called, there let him remain with God. I want to close with one scripture. That's why I have the other Bible up here. And I like it simply because of the way it reads. I grew up reading NIV, uh, I don't think ESV was even out yet. Ooh, new Bible. Um, 
but I grew up reading the NIV, and there's just a couple of things that still, for me, just read a little bit better in the NIV. This is going to be the verse we're going to close on. It's Micah chapter 6. You can turn there. Okay, so we're called. If you've been saved, you have a calling, and your calling is to serve God exactly where you're at in your life circumstances right now, and to not be ashamed of that, but rather to be bold in that. Let God, God's big enough to handle the consequences of whatever falls. And if you trust him, you'll follow your calling. And if you're following your calling, you're going to show up wearing the right clothes for the job. With love, compassion, mercy. And you're going to take off the things that shouldn't be there in your life. Micah chapter 6. I'm going to begin in verse 6 through 8. It says, With what shall I come before the Lord and bow down before the exalted God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? In other words, this is like the best sacrifice you could give. Shall I, shall I bring God the best physical things? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams? With 10,000 rivers of olive oil? It's a lot of olive oil. Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgression? All Abraham and Isaac style. The fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? In other words, what can we sacrifice to God? But he has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. We are called, all of us, into that ministry. And if you've never woken up to that from this very moment on, you've got no excuses. You and I, saved Christ followers, are called to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk Humbly with your God. And echo the words of Paul and take off the things that shouldn't be there and put on the things for Christ that should. One of the greatest callings you have on your life right now is to serve God right where you're at. You have an ability that I as a pastor do not have. Do you know that? Yeah. Now, there's a lot of things I'm good at. There's a lot of things you're good at. But there's one thing you can do that I cannot. See, when I go out and I have an interaction with someone or I'm able to meet somebody in the aforementioned Starbucks or wherever it is, Inevitably, the conversation drifts to what do you do? I'm not going to lie about what I do. I love what I do. And my response is a pastor, right? I'm a pastor of a church. And it's at that moment that every conversation I have changes. And they stop cursing, if they were which didn't necessarily bother me to begin with because I'm not, I'm not holding them to these standards. I don't know them. The conversation changed and suddenly have to be all holy around like I'm, you know, something else. The beauty is that you're not a pastor. You can say you're an engineer or yard care worker, stay-at-home mom, whatever. And they're like, oh, okay. And you keep having your conversation. You can minister in a way that I cannot. And that is one of the best ways how we are a church are effective. Because I'm proud of what I do. I love what I do. I'm grateful for what I get to do. But sometimes I wish I was just an engineer. That's not belittling being an engineer. I just... 
wish I was a normal folk. One of the plebeians. I'm joking. <laughs> like, there's, there's no status separation. <laughs> That's a big word if you know your Roman history. Sometimes I, I wish for that, you know, maybe what if I wasn't? Just so I could have gospel conversations doing pest control in a classroom. Oh, that I could go back to being a 16 or 17 year old high school student knowing what I know now and have gospel conversations in the classroom. Because they're teaching a whole bunch of different stuff. Nobody's teaching this. Someone has to. And that someone, schools, workplaces, or anywhere else, that's you. You have a calling. And it's the greatest calling. To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with God. Share the good news with boldness. I don't want to give some goofy challenge. I don't want to put a number on an invisible, non-existent board of like, go minister to 12 people this week and we'll come. I want you to pray about it. I want you to, to wait on the Lord. I want you to ask Him, God, Put people in my path this week. And when you do, give me the boldness to proclaim the gospel. And be ready. Wearing the right stuff. I'm not talking physical clothes at this point, right? We've, we're, we're past that. Be ready. And don't back down. Don't be ashamed. Because there is no greater calling on your life you aren't here on planet earth to be a teacher, to be an engineer, to be a pest control worker. You're not here for those things. That's not your calling. That might be your vocation, but that's not your calling. Your calling is for the gospel. Wherever you are, be ready to be used by God this week. Sound good?